Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. The episodes of this podcast deal with murder, dismemberment, torture, rape, child abuse, and mental illness. Please turn back while you still can. Listener discretion advised. In this episode, I quote people who use an offensive term to refer to a person's sexual orientation. Those quotes do not represent the opinions of this show and are solely reenactments. This episode grew into something much bigger than I ever expected. Because of that, it's become a two-part season finale. Don't worry, you won't have to wait a whole week to hear part two. It will be available tomorrow morning. I had to add a little bit of suspense. I want to thank everyone again for the overwhelming support I've received. Enjoy. John John Chuck Jr. had had custody of his daughter Phoebe for the last two years. He didn't have a stable home and couldn't keep a job, so he feared that Phoebe's mother, Michelle Kerr, might take over custody of their daughter. Instead of letting that happen, he took the girl to the Dick Meisner Bridge in Tampa, Florida, and dropped her into the water below, killing her. This is Monsters. Come back and find out that he's deceased. Tapping me on the head, telling me I'm cheating, telling me I'm, you know, let me see your phone. Just kill her and she dies. I think Diego Campione is totally in the wrong, and I hope he burns in hell for all his sins. Hell's not a very fun place. I only have two hands. I'm not four hands, girl. I'm two hands. I don't know. Just get escalated and escalated. This is the final episode of Season 1. This season, I've told the stories of filicide, the act of a parent killing their own child. I've told stories from all different categories of filicide. Some of these monsters have suffered mental illness, some have acted out of revenge, and some have killed their children for no explainable reason. What we do know is, all of them have caused immense pain and suffering in the lives of family members, first responders, and fellow members of their community. None of these cases have brought me any closer to understanding why this type of crime happens so frequently. My next step will be to correspond with some of the perpetrators of these crimes to see if they can shed any light on why their children were killed. I have already written to Timothy Jones Jr. to ask him about his statement regarding suicide. If you haven't heard that episode, when Jones is asked if he had any desire to hurt himself, he says that he would never commit suicide because he doesn't want to go to hell. I wrote a letter to Jones to ask him why he feels like killing his own children will not secure him a place in hell, and he responded, but only to let me know that his lawyer told him not to speak to anyone regarding his case. I feel like this will be a standard response from anyone who is currently trying to appeal their conviction. I'll contact him again once he's done with appeals. I'll be contacting other parents who are serving time for killing their own children, and will post updates if and when I get a response. I'll also be posting some bonus episodes over the break and plan to be back with Season 2 in January. Until then, if you listen to this podcast through YouTube, I will continue to post other videos there, so if you haven't gone to my YouTube channel, you can check it out by searching for This Is Monsters on YouTube or by clicking the link on our website at thisismonsters.com. John John Chuck Jr. was described as a monster by his uncle, Brian Morris. Now, this is not the description of a man who killed his own daughter. This is his description of John Chuck as a child. 
John John Chuck Sr. was an alcoholic who had left the family when John Chuck Jr. was only two years old. His mother was a thief and addict who left him when he was four. John John Chuck Sr. explains during his testimony at his son's trial. Do you know about when you met Michelle John Chuck? Probably in, I want to say around 87, I guess. Okay. Were you guys, uh, did you guys get married? Not right away. Okay. Uh, how long were you married, do you think? I think I married her in 89, right before she had the baby. And then we got divorced probably four years later, but we separated after two. Okay. So you married Michelle when either either before or when she was pregnant with right John? before he was excuse me, right before he was born I married her. That would be in eighty nine. Okay. Um when Michelle was pregnant with Johnny, was she using drugs? Not to my knowledge, but then afterwards, I realized that it was possible. Okay. So at the time, you didn't know? Right. But now, do you believe that she was? I believe she could have been. <clears throat> you said that you split up with her. About How old was Johnny when you split up? When I, I know I said I had him at two, but when we split up, he was about two. Okay. So. What... Why did you and Michelle split up? Because uh, she spent all my money. On what? Drugs. According to one story, Brian Morris and his domestic partner, Tim Maynard, ended up taking him in. They dealt with him kicking the dog and getting thrown out of preschools. They took him to counselors and psychiatrists who prescribed medications, but nothing helped. Eventually, when John Chuck Sr. found out that his son was living with Morris and Maynard, he showed up and took his son. According to Morris, John Chuck Sr. yelled, quote, I am not going to let two fags raise my child, end quote. According to John Chuck Sr.'s testimony, Jr.'s mother dropped him off at his home in Nashville when he was four years old and left. When you initially split, did she keep Johnny or did you have Johnny? She kept Johnny. Did you, at that point, some, not immediately, but at some point in the future, move to another area? I was working out of town at the time. And where were you working? Nashville, Tennessee. In, sorry to go back, but after you and Michelle split, did you guys get along? Uh, never really communicated. As far as I, if I wanted to see him or not. Okay. Did there come a time when, while you were in Nashville, that you saw Michelle? Yeah, she brought me Johnny and dropped him off to me. And where did she go? I couldn't tell you. Did she stay in Nashville with you? Nope. Did she call you and tell you she was coming? Uh, to the best of my recollection, uh, I don't think so. I, 
I talked to her grandparents. They said she needed help taking care of Johnny. Next thing I knew, she showed up and gave me Johnny. Based on his story, John Chuck never lived with his uncle while he was a child. When John Chuck was 12 years old, he attacked his father, beating him with a full soda can and pulling a knife on him. He told a police officer that he hated his dad and hoped that he goes to hell. He came out as gay in the 8th grade and attempted to commit suicide the following year. He had climbed onto the roof of his father's condo building and slit his wrists. That would end up being the first time that his family had to put him in a psychiatric hospital. His father claimed to have Baker-acted his son three to five times during his testimony. The Tampa Bay Times reported that his entire family counted as many as 27 times that it happened. The Baker Act is a Florida law that allows people with mental illness to be held involuntarily for up to 72 hours. He would eventually go back to live with Morris and Maynard, where he was regularly violent with them. He once coated the stairs with wax, causing Tim Maynard to slip, fall down the stairs, and break three ribs. According to Maynard, John Chuck just watched and laughed. He moved out on his own when he was 17 years old, and according to people close to him, he got heavily involved in drugs. One of his favorite drugs was a type of synthetic marijuana called Spice. Spice is well known to cause violence and paranoia in its users. His friends said he also smoked crystal meth, which can also cause violence and paranoia. John Chuck met Michelle Kerr in 2008 through a mutual friend. She already had two children of her own. She had a daughter that was in the custody of a family member and a son who lived with her. She had been charged with neglect in the past when her son was five years old when the babysitter failed to pick the boy up from the bus stop. Though she initially believed him to be gay, he eventually told her that he was in love with her and the couple began dating. It didn't take long for his violent nature to reveal itself, but by then, Kerr was pregnant and she wanted to make things work. When Phoebe John Chuck was born in August of 2009, everybody around them noticed that John Chuck had changed. Brian Morris said that he noticed a change and that John Chuck had stepped up more than he ever had before. When Kerr went back to work, John Chuck wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. That plan was disrupted, though, when Kerr was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and she had to go on disability. During the next few years, John Chuck tried to make an honest living, but eventually began to try to earn money through theft and scams. Kerr said that he would steal social security numbers and credit card numbers, and that he also bought a machine that printed forged checks. He also faked a fall while working at a cheesecake factory and attempted to sue the restaurant for $250,000. The violence toward Kerr and toward his own mother, Michelle John Chuck, also increased. He was arrested in 2010 for battery and domestic violence after he threw Kerr to the ground and punched her. He attended a court-ordered domestic violence program, and Kerr dropped the charges. In 2013, John Chuck was arrested again for assaulting Kerr. Neighbors called the police when they saw John Chuck choking her. The case was dismissed when the couple agreed to go to counseling, but it turned out that they never actually attended the sessions. The same year, he was charged with battery for abuse against his mother. John Chuck's mother had decided that she wanted to be in her granddaughter's life, so she went to rehab and got sober. He resented her for leaving him when he was a boy, and it made for a tumultuous environment. John Chuck would regularly fly off the handle anytime his mother would give him any parenting advice, usually following it up with a physical attack. 
Back at home, John Chuck chased Kerr into a closet and then stabbed a knife through the door. After that, he shoved her down in the backyard and started punching her in the face, right in front of their daughter. When she fled into the bathroom, John Chuck pursued her and slammed her head into the bathtub. Kerr knew that it was time to go. Once John Chuck got out of jail, he claimed that Kerr had cut him with a box cutter. He used some self-inflicted scars on his wrist as evidence and got a restraining order against her. He then used that opportunity to take custody of Phoebe. Kerr begged to see her daughter, but John Chuck floated around from one place to another and constantly changed his phone number. Due to her failing health and lack of money, Kerr was unable to continue fighting with him. John Chuck and Phoebe lived in at least eight locations in the year before her death. He would use his daughter as a means of getting people to allow him to stay, but would eventually get kicked out for angry outbursts or for trashing the place. After every eviction, he would call the police with some accusation against the person who kicked him out as an act of revenge. There was a time when Phoebe stayed with Morris and Maynard at their beautiful Victorian home with a koi pond in the backyard. John Chuck was staying with friends. At one point, they suggested that they adopt the girl, but John Chuck wouldn't have it. He yelled, quote, I'm not going to let two fags raise my kid, end quote. Gee, I wonder where he got that from. One of the last places that Phoebe would live would be with her grandmother, Michelle Johnchuck. John Jr. was still staying with friends, and Michelle took her in, cared for her, dropped her off at kindergarten, and provided her the most stable life that she had had in her short five years. The roller coaster ride that was John Chuck's personality continued into the holidays of 2014. John Chuck had a Thanksgiving dinner at Denny's with Phoebe, Kerr, and her new boyfriend, Guy Kisser. Things seemed to go well, but when Phoebe asked to stay the night with her mother, John Chuck said no. Not long before Christmas, John Chuck was told that he would need to provide x-rays in order for his case against the Cheesecake Factory to move forward. X-rays that he didn't have. The Social Security Administration had also given him 15 days to account for Phoebe's benefits, or else he would lose the $600 a month he had been receiving. Things were starting to fall apart around him. He spent Christmas Eve with Phoebe at Kerr's house with his mother, Kisser, and Kerr's teenage son. The following day, he sent a text message to Kerr saying that she didn't need to worry about him keeping Phoebe from her anymore. Then, when Phoebe began opening her presents, John Chuck yelled at his mother that she never got him Christmas presents. On New Year's Eve, he petitioned the court for another injunction against Kerr, claiming that Kisser was dangerous and that there were knives and swords in the home. The judge denied his request. That evening, he called his lawyer, Genevieve Torres, and wanted to get paperwork together right away, but she was out of town, which was understandable since it was New Year's Eve. He had already been working with Torres to establish paternity in an effort to secure full custody of Phoebe. In the state of Florida, if a child is born to unmarried parents, the father does not have parental rights to the child. He must establish paternity and gain parental rights, and this is what Taurus was helping him work on. He had had Phoebe in his custody for the past couple of years, but he didn't have a court order that gave him custody, so technically Kerr could get custody of Phoebe back at any time. Over the first few days of January 2015, his behavior became increasingly erratic. He sent offensive text messages to his friends and then sent apologies. He became obsessed with a large Swedish Bible that his stepmother, Mickey, had. 
he began carrying the Bible everywhere with him and claiming that evil spirits were around him. Michelle Johnchuk said that his behavior was not entirely unusual. He would say these bizarre, off-the-wall things to mess with people, right? With me, yes. And he'd been doing it since he was a teenager, right? Yes. Did it all the way up to the time of the murder? Yes. So saying off-the-wall bizarre things and mean things was not unusual for him? No. And when you, he told you he was going to fuck up your life, you thought he was, talk, you thought he was dealing, talking about Phoebe, right? At that time, I wasn't sure if he was going to try to mess up my probation and put drugs in my coffee or if he was talking about Phoebe at that time because I I never really thought that he would ever do anything to hurt his daughter because he loved his daughter but he didn't want Michelle to get her did he no didn't want Guy Kisser to get her did he no and told you he was going to fuck up your life didn't he yes and a few days later he murders her right yes early on January 4th he woke his mother up at 3 o'clock in the morning yelling that she was not going to take his kid He yanked Phoebe out of the bed and stormed out of the house. The next few days, he and Phoebe stayed with his father and stepmother. While there, he became so paranoid about evil spirits that he poured salt around the house and around the windows. John Johnchuck Sr. explained the behavior during his testimony. When he was living with you around Christmas time, did John pour salt around the house? Yes. Did he pour salt around the windows? Yes. Did he pour salt around the door to Phoebe's bedroom? I don't know about that. Did he tell you what the salt was for? Objection, Judge. I was unaware of that at the time until I happened to be looking out one of my windows one day and I asked about that. Okay. Because I didn't get to elaborate it on it when you asked me the question. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you again. He, did he tell you why he put the salt there? Uh, apparently, it's to keep out evil spirits. John Chuck was still working to establish his parental rights with Phoebe and was still meeting with his lawyer, Genevieve Torres. He initially came by for a scheduled consultation on January 6th, 2015. Um, when he came in on the 6th, you again had a uh, consultation or continued your consultation with him regarding the family law issue? When he came in on the 6th, I was getting the paperwork ready for him with him. Did he seem, I don't know, normal? He did. No red flag whatsoever. He acted normal very cooperative. Any information I asked him, he had an answer for. Uh, We actually worked on the petition together. And if you asked a question, he gave you the appropriate response? Yes. Um, Every single time. He knew all the answer. Okay. So that, I guess we would consider that a successful meeting? Yes. No, it was, it was fine. It was a normal meeting and John Chuck was acting normal. The following day, John Chuck stopped by Torres's office before they opened. Then he called her about an hour later and asked if he could come in. 
So I wasn't scheduled with him that day. Um, I did have things that I had to get done, but I told him, well, if you want to come now, I have a little bit of time. Um, I could see you and meet with you now. Um, so he said, I'm on my way. I'm coming now. And he came within a half an hour. He wasn't that far away from my office. So by 10, he was there. Okay. Um, was he alone? Get Phoebe with him. How was he dressed? He was wearing pajama pants um, and a hoodie. How often in your career have people worn pajama pants to your consultations? That was the first. She thought that the pajama pants were odd, but that his demeanor seemed normal, at first. Forgetting the pajamas for a moment, the, his demeanor is talking, is it the same as it was from the day before? Initially, yes. When he first came up, um, he was just the same that he was yesterday, kind of eager to move forward with the process. You know, just excited, excited, like just excitable, excited, it jumped, he was just eager to move forward, like, and he was talking fast, and, you know. Did the conversation take a turn? Yes, but the way it happened um, is he came up with Phoebe, and then, then he, that little gathering area I had with a three chair and a little table, coffee table in the middle, he put his backpack on it. It was heavy. It looked like it was heavy. Like he just put the backpack, but it looked like it was, you know, it, was, it made a sound when it hit the table. Um, and then Phoebe was just wandering around the loft, you know, she was kind of exploring or looking around. She wasn't very far, but you know, she was just looking around. Um, and then he unzipped his backpack and then took this big brown, as far as I knew, I didn't know what it was at first, so it was a book, but he told me it was a Bible. Um, so he put it on my little black table and actually it was crumbling. Um, I mean, I had, after he left, I still had pieces of the Bible. It was falling apart a little bit. Um, so he put it on the table and he, he explained to me that it was a Bible that was been in his family for quite some time and through his stepmother. Um, and um, that he was fascinated with it at that point and the first thing that he said that kind of got me a little, made me, feel, made me feel uncomfortable, let's say. I started there. I started feeling uncomfortable when he, he, he told me that when Phoebe touches the Bible, when Phoebe puts her hand on the Bible, um, that she starts chanting. When Phoebe puts her hands on the Bible, she starts chanting? This statement concerned Torres, so she got Phoebe back to the reception area and let her color while she met with John Chuck in her office. Things continued to get weird. You know, I start talking about, you ready to move forward? And at that point, he kind of, he was not really interested into talking about the paternity case, it was the, the paperwork. He wasn't interested in that. He, um, he said, you know, that's going to sound weird um, or strange. He said, weird or strange, I'm not... One of those words. That sounds weird, but I really think that, um, I think you're saying Genevieve. And it caught me off guard clearly. So I kind of said, um, I was like, no, you know, I'm definitely not. Uh, he's like, no, 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 you're saying Genevieve. I know you are. Um, you just came back from the city of Babylon, which was Montreal. Um, to him was Babylon. So 
So I said, um, I, I insisted that I wasn't. And then he said from there, well, then if you're not St. Genevieve, then you must be God. Hello. I can't imagine the level of uncomfortable that that statement made this poor woman. When John Chuck arrived at her office, he had told her that he had an appointment at 11 o'clock at St. Paul Catholic Church. So she informed him that it was about 10.40, and he was going to be late to his appointment. When he packed up his things, she asked him if he still wanted to move forward with the paperwork, and his response was extremely concerning. So then I'm sitting down still, on my, I sat back down in my chair, and I had the paperwork that I had prepared still mm -hmm. that we barely talked about, and I said, what do you want me to do with the paperwork? Um, you know, I still need the filing fee uh, from you. Um, what do I do? And he, he was standing up um, at that point. I was sitting down. So it was kind of like he was looking down at me. And he got, ser like he got serious again. Like he kind of got this serious look on his face. And he, he kind of looked down. He said, none of this is going to matter tomorrow. She explains why paternity always matters to a father, especially in the state of Florida. Fast forwarding to the next day, January 7th, at the end of your encounter with him, he said to you that none of this would matter anymore as he left, correct? Correct. All right. Does paternity always matter? Always. Why is that? Because it doesn't, it doesn't, because <laughs> if you want to establish your rights, it always matter. Um, you need to, if he wants to have a time-sharing schedule, if he wants to have you know, some sort of uh, either shared parental responsibility or sole parental responsibility, you need to get established. In Florida, fathers don't have any legal right until they go and establish the right if they have a baby out of wedlock. Um, that's the way the law is here. So paternity always matter in Florida as far as getting it established if you're not going to be living or in a relationship with the mother. So mm -hmm. that makes no sense. That statement makes no sense whatsoever. So you're concerned at that point? Yes, because his whole reason to come see me, it was to establish his right and for his fear that Michelle Kerr would come back and get Phoebe, which is why he didn't send her to school. So why, after a meeting, it didn't matter anymore, made no sense whatsoever. The prosecutor brings up one scenario where paternity won't matter. If Phoebe's deceased, paternity doesn't matter then, does it? It doesn't. As soon as John Chuck left her office, Torres called 911 to report the situation. 911, what's your emergency? Yes, okay. I have a client that came in. There's a client of mine. He hired me yesterday. I'm a female attorney. He just came in, and then um, he started. He, right now, he's going to St. Paul Catholic Church on Del Mabry. He has a child with him, uh, his daughter. Um, he left my office. He came out there with a Bible and started talking to me and saying that I was the creator, I was God, and... And then he wanted me to read the Bible to him. I said, I can't, it's in Swedish. And then he started being really, I mean, he thought he was nuts. What, okay. And did he's he, going, he's just going he out with a child. Huh? Did, he, did you say he assaulted you? No, 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 he didn't. But what I'm saying is he's out of his mind, and he has a minor child with him driving to a church now, and I should have kept the child. And and he was saying things like, um, I was supposed to file his paperwork today for, for, for a case. He's like, well, don't file the paperwork. It's not going to matter anymore. And then he wanted me to take him to the church, and then he wanted to leave the child here, and I should have kept the child, but now he's left with the child. Okay, did he make statements like he wanted to harm himself? No, well, he keeps he, he saying that he, um, he said that uh, he, he, he keeps saying that I was the, I, he wanted me to, he, he, he keeps saying that I was God, and I keep saying I wasn't. And he said that he needed me to go to the church to get baptized now, 
and that he, he not to file and think because things are not going to matter anymore. And he wanted to leave the child here, and then he didn't want to drive, and then he wanted to drive. So I don't know if he's on drugs. How long ago did he leave? He was just five minutes ago. What he's on he his way to St. Paul Catholic Church. What's he driving? Delivery. Huh? What is he driving? Oh, Carson, did you see his car? He makes a white, tiny car that kind of looks like a thing. Like a two-door car? Or it's a two-door, four-door. I know he's on his way. I'm not cl I'm close by the Catholic Church. He's on his way Del on St. Paul Catholic Church on Del Mabry okay. in Tampa. All right, stay on the phone with me. I, 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 I should have given the child. But the statement that he was supposed to pay me more money today when he came, and he came, and the statement to me that, to that do you want to go forward and file your paperwork, and he says it's not going to matter anymore. It, it it is going to matter. It's, it, no matter what, he's going to get baptized. It's still going to matter. It's still you know it, that didn't make any sense. That really scared me. And after saying, I, he was trying to make me read the Bible in Swedish, saying that I knew how to speak Swedish because I'm the Creator. And then I, you know, it's just it was he's, he's, he's out of his mind. All right, ma'am. We're going to get some deputies to. We'll, they'll probably come talk to you, and then they're going to sure. check out the the church. Okay. okay? All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. She clearly doesn't think that he has any intent to kill his daughter. She even tells the operator that the paternity will still matter even if he gets baptized. So she's under the impression that he thinks that getting baptized will help him establish paternity. After hearing her regret not keeping Phoebe, I can't imagine how she felt after she found out that the girl had been killed. John Chuck took Phoebe and went to the St. Paul Catholic Church for his 11 o'clock appointment, which Father Bill testified that he arrived around 11.30. And did you see Mr. John Chuck on January 7th? I did. He arrived around 11.30. Okay. How many times did you see him on January 7th? Twice. Once at 11.30, and then he returned again around 2.30 in the afternoon. <clears throat> okay. And so you said the appointment that he had was for 11 on January 7th? Yes. And what time did he get there? Around 11.30. Did you meet with Mr. Johnchuk? Yes, I did. Did, when Mr. Johnchuk arrived at the church, did he have anybody with him? He had his daughter with him, Phoebe. And that was at the 11.30 time? Correct. And then when he came back, he had his daughter with him, as well as his stepmother. Okay. At the for the eleven thirty meeting that you had with Mr. John Chuck, did you meet with him privately? I did. And where was Phoebe when you were meeting with Mr. John Chuck privately? This was sort of an unusual thing. So usually, if I'm meeting with a parent, the child has sort of separation anxiety; doesn't want to be separated from the parent. In this case. Um, Phoebe felt very comfortable. She was, seemed a very alert and healthy, vivacious little girl. And so she went with my assistant to go to the director of Christian formation, uh, Don Coppy's office, and they sat there with her. So she wasn't within eyesight. Many times kids will sit right outside the door just so that they could see their parents. Okay. Police arrived at the church while John Chuck was there. During the course of your meeting, the 11.30 meeting with Mr. John Chuck, were you made aware that there were some police officers that wanted to talk to him? Yeah, about 10 minutes into the interview, then, or the appointment, then my assistant called me up and told me that the police were, were on, on hand. Okay. And they were there at, at St. Paul's at the yes. church? Yes. 
did you finish your conversation with Mr. Johnchuk? Yeah, at that point then, basically, I know they wanted to see him. I didn't want them to wait long. So basically, at that point, what I did was prepare for him to go and see them. Okay. We have in the office complex, it's also a preschool that also meets in there, plus all the other offices. So the idea was simply that he would be able to be introduced to the police officers, be able to meet with them, talk with them, and that there wouldn't be any sort of drama or strife. Okay. Did Mr. John Chuck talk to the police at the church? Yeah, my recollection is about 40 minutes for quite some time. After Mr. John Chuck spoke with the police, did he and Phoebe leave the church? They did. Before the police arrived, John Chuck talked to Father Bill about two things. First was his stepmother's Bible, and the other was about getting baptized. What is the general, in general terms, what is the process for becoming baptized into the Catholic Church? For adults, the first part is a period of inquiry where people can ask questions about the faith. You can't become Catholic if you don't understand who you are right now where you are right there. What what does your own faith tradition have to offer you? Um, and then after that, um, then there's a period of, of intellectual formation in terms of knowing more about the sacraments and explaining the faith to the, the person. And then the final part, which the people are in right now, is a process called enlightenment in terms of spiritual preparation for the sacraments of initiation. That happens at Easter Sunday. Okay. How long does that process take? It could take several years, but normally it takes six to eight months. So if a person comes into St. Paul's and says, I would like to be baptized right now, is that something that's going to happen? No, it would not happen, unless the person was in dying danger of death. He had told his lawyer that he had an appointment to be baptized, but Father Bill testified that he had never seen John Chuck before. He says that the process of becoming baptized could take six to eight months on average. When asked if someone could come into the church and get baptized the same day, he says no, quote, unless the person was in danger of death, end quote. Is it possible that John Chuck had planned a murder-suicide and was hoping to be baptized prior to his death? It's something we'll always have to wonder. One of the deputies who responded to Genevieve Torres's 911 call was Sheriff's Deputy Aaron Rizzo, who was a CIT deputy, which stands for Crisis Intervention Trained. The deputies took him into a conference room at the church and talked to him. Go through that conversation that you had with the defendant in that uh, room. Um, there, because he made some interesting statements to his lawyer um, that... Uh, he had a Swedish Bible with him, and she wanted to, to read it to him. Uh, so I could kind of go through my mental health checklist on some of the things I'm looking for. Um, Which are what? So uh, I'll always kind of start off with, you know, do you, do you feel like hurting yourself or anyone else? Did you ask him that? Yes, I did. And his response was? No, he did not. Okay. What else is um, on that checklist? So I'd like to ask some questions like, um, are you hearing things uh, that you don't think are there or seeing things that aren't there? What was his response to those questions? No, he did not. Okay, so he was having no delusions or hallucinations that he told you? He, was, he, he told me he was not. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> Once he said no to those questions, the line of questioning uh, is pretty limited from there. I can only go off the feedback they give me. Um, did he mention that he had any kind of mental illness? 
he said previously that he'd been uh, diagnosed as bipolar years back and that he'd been on medications, but he was no longer on those medications. Uh, was he calm? Very calm. Coherent? Yes, sir. Responsive to questions? Yes, sir. While talking to the deputies, he told them that he was not intending to harm himself or anyone else, and that he wasn't hearing or seeing things. He was calm and coherent. So, even though earlier and later that day, he is making wild statements such as, You're God, I'm God, evil spirits are out to get me, and I'm the Pope, he just happens to be completely coherent when these deputies talk to him. Seems fairly convenient, but we'll move on. After leaving St. Paul Catholic Church, he drove to St. Lawrence Catholic Church, five miles away, and spoke with a reverend who would not disclose what they talked about. He left there, picked up his stepmother, Mickey, and returned to the St. Paul Catholic Church. According to Father Bill, he brought Mickey in order to prove that he was not living alone with Phoebe. Father Bill testified that he had never asked him for proof of that. He then insisted that he be baptized, and Father Bill told him again that he couldn't do that. How did John react when he could not get baptized? He was very uh, agitated. Did he say he was going to go to another church? Yes. Okay. When John Chuck couldn't get baptized by Father Bill, he drove to Lake Magdalene United Methodist Church. He approached the receptionist, told her that he was related to the Pope, and that he needed to be baptized. The receptionist told him that the pastor was not in, and gave John Chuck the pastor's email address. Satisfied with this, he returned to his father's house with Mickey and Phoebe. For the rest of the evening, John Chuck allowed his anger and resentment toward other people, stew, until he apparently reached a breaking point, and set the final part of his plan in motion. Check back tomorrow for part two of the season finale of Monsters. If you like this show, please subscribe or leave me a rating on whatever podcast app you use. On YouTube, you can subscribe, hit like, or leave me a comment. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate a few dollars through Buy Me a Coffee. You can click the link on our website or YouTube channel, or go to buymeacoffee.com backslash monsters. If you shop on Amazon, you can go to our website and click on the Amazon banner where you can purchase items at no additional charge, but will get a small commission. I'm always trying to increase my content and improve its quality, and your support will help me do that. Thank you in advance.